2: Hey, everybody, this is Dan Lobby, and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Today it's Mary Kay interviewing Jason Wright, a former Browns running back, but now the president of the Washington football team. They talked about Jason's time in Cleveland and and what he's trying to accomplish in Washington. So that'll be coming up on this special bonus pod. I won't take too much of your time, but I do have to tell you about Football Insider. It's our texting subscriber service where Mary Kay, me, Scott, and Ellis will text you throughout the day. We also have opportunities to come on the pod and pick games or uh, join our post-game Zoom uh, show that you can be a part of if you sign up for Football Insider. It's 3 dollars a month, but if you want to check it out for two weeks, uh, text 216-208-3965 and you can start a 14-day free trial and see a Football Insider Is right for you. Okay, we're gonna get a quick break in here, and then here's Mary Kay's interview with Jason Wright. Uh,
1: First of all, Jason, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your reflections, you know, your time here in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. What impact did it have on your career? And I know that you had some tremendous influences here, so take me back to that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean there there are several things. Um, I think the biggest one is how connected i learned how connected a football franchise can be to the community mm-hmm. there is a symbiotic nature between the the fans or the greater cleveland area frankly most of the state right you know you, you have to get pretty close to cincinnati before you find a cincinnati fan i mean <laughs> it's, it's uh, it, most of the state um and it's emotional economic and otherwise can deep connection to the club is really significant. And um, I think from the moment I got here, you know, I've always been somebody who tends to embed in the community in which I'm living and I had friends outside of football and deep relationships outside of football, but that was par for the course in Cleveland. That was the way that the club operated and that was the culture that was set up. And um, that just felt like such a natural fit for me. A substantial investment in the community um, uh, is, is, so, so so that I think really I took that with me and it's been very helpful in this job because um, arguably we have a more passionate fan base here than uh, than Cleveland um, I would say we do but we don't have we haven't yet built that deep connection we had it once and we have to rebuild it And I do take inspiration from that symbiotic relationship, even if the team is not good and fans are, you know, griping about it on Monday, there's still a love for the Browns that exists in Cleveland.
1: And I want to establish that. I might have to argue with you on the passionate fan base thing, but I understand what you're saying. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Yeah. So tell me about, um, you know relationships with guys like Romeo Cornell. I mean, let's start with Romeo. What what did you learn from Uncle Romeo? While you
0: were yeah, there? exactly. That's exactly how to describe him. That's exactly how to describe him. It was you know he was like everyone's uncle. Um, Romeo, um, there's so many things uh, to gather from him, um, and 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 frankly, so many of the black coaches that I had, you know. Um, there was a substantial number of very senior black folks um, on that on that staff. And that meant a lot at a subconscious level of saying there is an opportunity for you to be an executive leader in this space. It tells you that consciously and subconsciously by having someone like Rack and Mo Carthon and Anthony Lynn and uh, um, Dave Atkins, uh, Terry Robisky, you know, all of these folks that at different points were quite senior um, in the organization um, uh, were, were really helpful to me. But I say, Rack in particular, um, he demonstrated to me what it meant to be caring but still carry authority. You felt like you could go talk to him, you could. Air your guts to him and tell him all the good, bad, and the ugly of what's going on with you professionally, personally, et cetera. And you knew he was going to listen, um, and he was going to care for you. But then he also carried this air of authority that reminded you he was the head coach, and that he was making decisions on behalf of the team. Um, I remember one time in particular, I had had, you know, I was, I was starting to find a way to break into the lineup um, after being on and off the practice squad, and You know, I had a game where I I had made a couple good receptions, made somebody miss. And, you know, I was feeling high on myself and people were congratulating me. And we're in practice, we're in a walkthrough and I was messing around uh, during walkthrough. And coach said something to me of like, hey, I really need you to play well again. I was like, well, did you see, you know, you saw what I did, you know, a little bit cocky. He was like, yeah, but you're incredibly inconsistent and I'm going to need more consistency. But I did love that. Like it was just very clear. (laughs) It's like very clear. Like, yeah, I love that young man. However, you're really inconsistent. And I'm going an to need consistency from you. Uh, he, yeah, that, that, that mix of um, compassion and care with authority is something I, you know, I really try to role model.
1: That's because he was a girl, Dad. Remember that?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: He was able to bring, you know, sort of a different viewpoint, I thought, where, you know, we watched him be so tough on his football team when he had to be. But like you said, he brought that, uh, that unique mix of, yeah. of caring and, and talking. If leadership. there's
0: anything we need in leaders today, it's empathy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We need leaders that are empathetic. We, are, we have a dearth of them in the world, um, and we need people like Rack.
1: Now, how about Anthony Lynn? I'm so happy to see Anthony go on to the success that he has had. Uh, I've been watching his career and just the way he deals with people and situations yeah. and how great he's done. Talk to me about Anthony Lynn.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised Coach Lynn is where he is. You know, from the moment he stepped in, it was clear that he kn- he knew he not only was a great tactician and understood how to be a great running backs coach. I you know I expected him to be an offensive coordinator like that, just because of of how he thought, how strategic he was, how much he understood the game, analytic he was. Um, but com- that combined with being a former player and. The interpersonal communication style to be able to connect with guys, and again, he had that same thing Rack had. He could connect with us, but also he commanded authority. He made he made it known that he was the leader in that running backs room, uh, and that we were not running it. Um, and that was really important. But more than anything, what I saw, and this is probably the skill set that has made him the most successful, is I saw him build bridges across the coaching staff, across the front office where he was a helpful person to them. He was a good representative of the club externally, and he embraced that role to speak publicly and represent the club. And the fact that he built a network intentionally across those folks, I think has made him able to be so effective as a head coach. Um, and so, you know, secretly, I'm, I'm always watching the, the Chargers scoreline because I, I really pull for them. I really pull for them. There's no better guy than Anthony Lynn to be leading a football franchise.
1: Yeah, that's great. Good for him. Um, So the other things uh, I wanted to get into a little bit are the fact that, uh, you know, I'm sure you, you know, you were here longer than you were anywhere else as a player. So I know that, you know, part of your heart is still with the Browns. Absolutely. I'm sure, Uh, as it is for anybody, really, who comes through here. Uh, So I'm I'm curious to know, uh, has it pained you in, in some ways to watch what's gone on with the Cleveland Browns since you were here, Uh, you know, no winning seasons, uh, you know, just the lack of continuity, the turnover, the turmoil, and, and if I'm sure you've watched it, how has it informed some of what you will do in your current role?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, what do they say, those in glass houses? Uh, (laughs) It's not like... When, you know, we're not sitting over here on, you know, uh, a fantastic win streak, right? Um, we, we are in a, a new era where Coach Revere is building something special. But, you know, we're by no means, you know, to the promised land. Um, so it's it's hard to say, you know, lessons learned are things that I'm pulling, especially since, you know, I don't oversee the football side. That that said, um, you know, I, I I am surprised that, you know, the last winning season was when we were there and we went 10 and 6, mm-hmm. which, again, like, the luck of all lucks, so we didn't make the playoffs. How you go ten and six and not make the playoffs? I, I I would love to know like the probabilities of that happening. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's surprising because there's been so much talent that's come through that place, and there's so much devotion from the fan base, and you've had brilliant people there, all on the way. You know, brilliant GMs, brilliant coaches, etc. Um, I think you know one thing that you know you've highlighted, and I don't know how it's been there, but I know they are striving to create consistency of a great young quarterback and trying to build a core around him. That makes sense to me, to have something that stays in place for some time. I know that's what Coach Rivera is trying to do for us. And for me, most certainly on the business side in the front office of the organization, I am trying to set the foundation that then will not shake for a period of time going forward. And I think we have to be patient and give the Browns ourselves time to grow into that. We have to give ourselves time to go into that we have to try to not be knee jerk. Uh, we have to, you know, get our fans to embrace the vision to go along with us for some time because fans don't realize how much influence they have you yell loud enough. Things tend to happen and things move around. Um, and I do think stability and consistency, you know, breed championships. I think, you know, Pittsburgh. <clears throat> and. New England and others where there's a level of consistency and stability. you may have ups and downs, you may have some mediocre seasons, but you deliver over the long term. I think that's really important.
1: And have you gotten to know Andrew Barry over the years and and if so, you know what is your relationship like with Andrew? Uh, in some ways you guys kind of have sort of yeah
0: we, yeah we have our networks overlap <laughs> immensely. We've not met yet. so this is like you know on Sunday, one of the people I'm going to try to beeline for and and seek out, um, but our our networks overlap immensely, and um, I very much admire um, him as an individual, just of what he's accomplished over the course of his career. I mean, it's remarkable. I um, mean, his educational background—it's clear. Like this man's a freaking genius. Um, but also what he's endeavoring to do, because I see a similarity, and that he's trying to you know not only reset the way that the team operates and how you evaluate talent, how you bring people in, but also how you establish a culture and how you bring some of that stability and that reliability, uh, that sense of safety and consistency um, by having a method- methodological approach uh, to not only evaluating talent, but creating an organizational culture. And um, I admire it. Um, I'm, once we connect, I'm gonna be blowing him up for advice on various things, um, but um, I couldn't be more supportive. And I'm here to help him any way I can. I don't know what the hell I'm doing yet, but when I do, I will marshal all of my resources and ability to help him as much as I can.
1: So this is gonna have special meaning to you. To oh,
0: absolutely, absolutely. My, my, my best memories, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm get too early to the stadium guy and my best memories are me alone in the stadium, only the grounds crew around, you know, sitting out there on the bench. Just envisioning what it's going to look like when it's filled up with Browns fans. When, during warmups, Phil Collins starts playing, and like, it's it's unique and special. It's unique and special, and um, I'm eager to get embedded in those traditions here. You know, it's an odd year to get those. I know those will develop over time, but yeah, I, I'm I don't want to miss the chance to be there.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, hey, I wanted to ask you about um, about Ron Rivera. Mm-hmm. From, from my vantage point over here, uh, it, it just, it, it really kind of pains me to know that he's going through such a tough time uh, when he's trying to get this football team up and running and what he must be dealing with behind the scenes that we don't even know about. Mm-hmm. I mean, just how, uh, you know, how much of you probably admired watching what he's going through and how has it really impacted the whole organization?
0: Yeah, well, when you say the name Ron Rivera, and you've been around the league for some time, it carries weight. And it's not just because he's, you know, a great coach, been to a Super Bowl, all that stuff. It's because of the character that comes with that name. It's the integrity. It's uh, the values. It's the way he conducts himself professionally, the way he's a leader of men on the field, um, the way he develops coaching staffs. Um, and, and embraces diversity and inclusion on those, uh, as he builds his teams. Um, you know, all of those things come with the name Ron Rivera and uh, all of those character traits are absolutely seen in the way he's navigating his own personal situation. It is self-sacrificial. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know it most of the time because he takes the burden on himself which is inspiring and heroic. And when he can't, he's entrusting the folks that he has built up to lead on his behalf and people are stepping up into those roles. Um, It is very inspiring to watch. Very, very inspiring to watch. And it has made me, you know, to sort of double down on the imperative I have around culture change and bringing a measure of stability and Increase professionalism and things back to our business side because if he's doing that, I sure as hell can do some of this stuff. It's remarkable.
1: Yeah, I I see uh, you guys. I mean, it just seems like the two of you together are so you know in lockstep, like-minded with with the vision of where you want this franchise to go. That's got to make things a lot easier. I mean, it's
0: it's part of why I took the job. I mean. Having, you know, Ron in and committed as the coach, you know, for, you know, as long as the foreseeable future is, you know, made me feel like I had a great partner to work with.
1: That's so great. Um, You have an enormous amount of challenges before you. Are you built for this?
0: Ah, I would argue, yes, I am, but only because I know that it doesn't just depend on me. It depends on building and empowering a really strong team. Um, it's you know filling roles that we've you know had missing here in the organization for some time. I'm deep into the search for a chief people officer. We're um, just getting ready to hire um, an SVP for external engagement. Um, that will really think about the voice that we have outside of the building, um, and the chief people officer will ha- will help us handle what is inside the building and establishing a culture where people feel safe, empowered, et cetera. Um, but in particular, my own experience and what I did in professional services before as a business consultant, I did a lot of this work. I did a lot of this work. Worked into walked into institutions that had, um, you know, arguably. Um, Uh, you know, worse things going on related to gender bias and discrimination and unhealthy workplaces. And uh, I know what it takes to design the processes, procedures and those things uh, to get things right. But I also know um, that the approach of how you get there is important, too. And that listening, empathy, helping people feel heard and seen. that, all of that is critical along the way because it's not just about, you know, fixing processes and, you know, getting talent management into place and staffing HR properly. That is all fundamental and that will, that will solve 80% of it, sure. But there's an additional uh, 20% that is helping an organization heal from the trauma of past experiences, you know, yes. um, even, even if no one currently in the organization experienced them. You know, because I don't know the full set of things yet, you know, um, an article in the media, you know, no offense, is not a source of record that I can act on that's an official source of truth. But what comes from the independent investigation will be. And when I get that, I'll know the full gamut. But even if things all occurred a long time ago, there is still organizational trauma that gets carried from that. And we need to help our organization heal from that. And I get a lot of that today. You know, people are starting to feel more open. And so they're sharing more and there's a lot of angst that comes, you know, sometimes I feel like, why are y'all mad at me? I just got here. But it's, but I understand what that is. It's an exorcism, if you will, of real pain and hurt that has existed from not feeling heard, not feeling seen, feeling like your voice is muzzled. And me and my leadership team are, are ready to embrace that and to navigate through that as long as we need to, to get to a healthy place.
1: So in terms of all the harassment and all that kind of stuff, your door is open and you want to hear from people uh, that are currently in the building, the residual uh, emotion. Oh, we
0: have to. And all yeah, that. we have to. I think at least once a week, probably multiple times a week, I remind people to go to the independent investigators and share their experience. Even if you think it's innocuous or harmless, please share your experiences and and there's one thing that is, you know, where it's about, you know, big egregious things that have happened and those need to be heard and addressed um, with the utmost swiftness. But there's also another undercurrent that I think maybe exists in sports more largely, especially of me coming from a uh, corporate American, you might be able to relate to this deeply, Mary Kay, is that there are the everyday experiences, especially of women, where there are the microaggressions, uh, yeah. like the, the side comments that are not, you know, these overt, Um, incidences of sexual harassment, but, you know, being told, like, if you went on uh, maternity leave, like, oh, well, I hope, you know, that'll be challenging for your career when you come back, like hearing something like that, those types of microaggressions that women experience in the workplace, uh, those need to be fixed too. And we need to hear about those. And so in in case those don't come out through the independent investigation, I've already launched um, a comprehensive culture assessment of this place that rigorously through survey, through interviews, goes into the experience of folks. And we're, we're gonna be able to cut that data by whether you're a woman or minority or seniority. You know, we're, we're gonna understand what it's like to be in this, what has been like to be in this organization in a really concrete way, so that we can fix it in a very concrete way as well.
1: Tell me about your uh, pre- the president's brief that you're doing, the blog that you're doing, and you know, h- how do you plan to use that to communicate you know your vision and your goals to to the people
0: you know one of the things I heard in it was week zero because I was announced while I was still a partner at McGinsey and Company that was a hell of a week working two jobs <laughs> that are very that are very busy it was a hell of a week um, what I heard from a lot of fans that week, was that we as a franchise could do a lot more to engage regularly. And this is you know, part of the inspiration I took from the Browns. You know, the Browns really engaging regularly, communicating often with the media, with um, the community, with the fans, at least when I was there, um, you know, that's, that was how it was done. Um, I heard from fans like, hey, we would like more. We wanna hear what's going on up there in Ashburn. We wanna hear what's going on at FedEx Field. Um, we want to feel like you value us. And I heard that loud and clear. And I thought, you know, well, let me try to communicate in all ways possible. Look, I wasn't active on Twitter before I took this role. I'm active as crap on Twitter now because I know it's important to people. I don't want to be there tweeting all the time. But I do because it's important for our fans to hear my voice, my perspective, how things are materializing, get to know me. It's important to build that connection. And this blog is one version of that. Um, I get a lot of questions from people and I realized I need a format to answer that in a way that number one is authentic in my voice, but two, actually gives a good enough answer where people are like, all right, this man actually answered my question because you can dodge a whole lot of crap and 280 characters. So um, I, I didn't want to dodge, I wanted to be robust. Um, and maybe it evolves over time, you know, maybe you know, people get tired of it and it doesn't fit. It's it's not necessarily about the blog itself. It's about a commitment to being transparent.
1: Yeah, I wish more people would would do it. I saw that and I was like, this is great. I really, awesome. I really like that uh, that idea a lot. Um, as far as the name change is concerned, are you uh, in communication with you know the Cleveland baseball team at all? Are you keeping an eye on the process over here? Uh, and and how is that whole thing
0: going? No, I am not in process with uh, the. Um, Cleveland baseball team, but I am, um, we, we are launching, uh, now and it's, you know, it's a little more, um, nascent than I think folks would think, but it's because we actually spent the last several months effectively launching a new brand. The Washington football team brand was a brand launch itself, you know, with a new visual identity, with new themes, um, you know, stuff to be built into merchandise. It actually was a heroic effort by our marketing team, uh, to get it done. And so, um, you know, they they need to take a deep breath. (laughs) And now we are jumping back in. Um, But it's going to take time. And, you know, I I know fans are itching for a new name tomorrow. um, And I get that. But in order to do something that really represents them, that represents the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, that considers not only our, uh, that considers our historical fans, those who are tied to the history of this place, those that are newer, and those that we want to be fans. It needs to include all their voice. It needs to include alumni who are the most important connection to our history. It needs to include our staff, our existing players, leaders around the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. So it's gonna take time to do it right, get the right insights. And it also needs to be a good business decision. Really, look, at the end of the day, I'm not here about feel-goods. <laughs> I'm here about dollars and cents. Um, but the connection to the fans and the fans feeling like they're heard and they can see their fingerprints on it will also be the best business outcome for us. Um, so, you know, give us some time, you know, We'll be the Washington football team in the meantime, and and we'll let you know when we're ready.
1: Well, you know, after doing stories this week on Chase Young and Terry McLaurin and Dwayne Haskins, I came up with the Washington Buckeyes. I thought it sounded pretty good. Oh,
0: my gosh. I threw up in my mouth. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's that's horrifying. That is absolutely horrifying.
1: Oh, okay. All right, well, we'll scrap that one. Uh, And I see you have a lovely family. Yes. Some darling Yeah.
0: Children. There's a there's a Cleveland story there uh, that I'll share. Um, I have two young kids, um, ages six and nine. Um, my wife, uh, when I was playing for the Cardinals, uh, became pregnant with our daughter, and then had my son after I graduated business school. But we have two older uh, goddaughters that we've been raising since they were teenagers, and you know they are our older daughters, and they came to our family. Um, through our time in Cleveland. My wife led a um, middle school after school program at the Cleveland City Mission. Mm-hmm. And these two women, Jamie and Aisha were her students. And, you know, they they spent a lot of time with us to help give, you know, um, resources and things that they, they had trouble accessing otherwise. And a level of mentorship and guidance from my wife that was really unique and special. and. Um, They've really become part of our family um, and they really are. They are, they are our, call them our daughters and have for, I guess, a decade now. Gosh, it's been a long time, um, more than a decade. And um, uh, yeah, and they're, they're still closely tied to Ohio. They both moved back to Ohio when they moved out of the house. They both moved back to Ohio um, and they both each have a kid. And so I am a 38-year-old granddad
1: <laughs> as well. As well. Wow. So your heart really is still in Cleveland. and so Very many-
0: much so. So tied. So tied to Cleveland. And so many of the people. We were truly embedded in the community while we were there. Um, and, and so, you know, come hell or high water, I'm going to find my way to the game.